Novak Djokovic, Wimbledon champion, a fourth title at the All England Club, a 13th Grand Slam title and a first since Roland Garros in 2016. Djokovic's road has been a bumpy one in recent times, but in raising the trophy, he confirms his return to tennis's top table. Hello and welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Wimbledon 2018 is over and Novak Djokovic with his straight sets win over Kevin Anderson is champion once again. Alongside myself, Gigi Salmon is Naomi Cavaday. And here we are again, Naomi, the end of a Grand Slam. And it's feeling a little bit deserted now at Wimbledon. The light is fading and the people are disappearing fast. Yeah, well, I think once it's wrapped up, it is wrapped up. <laughs> We're going to get ejected soon, I feel. Um, but what a way to finish the tournament. Who expected that? Djokovic Anderson in the final with, with Djokovic taking the title. It's unbelievable, isn't it? When this tournament started, what were you thinking about Novak Djokovic and where he was at? I thought he was going to make a deep run. I was I was feeling kind of, you know, quarters, semi-finals sort of thing for him. Then when I saw the draw, really liked the look of things through to the semi-finals. Just didn't think he was going to get past Nadal, uh, especially in the manner that he did with everything going on within that particular match. But the the real Novak Djokovic came out. He summoned it once again, deep in that fifth set, and he got through that one, and then he was favourite for the final, even though he was going in a little fatigued. Um, that was probably where I was pitching it. So I think he surpassed his own expectations as well. I don't think he would have been coming in thinking he could win the tournament. Maybe he thought he could, but probably didn't think he, he, he would. So I, I think he's he's done brilliantly. You think back to Roland Garros and that defeat to Marco Cecchinato, a match he believed he should have won, which we could tell from his reaction when he didn't go into the main press conference room. He went into press conference room two that had been derigged. There was no microphone, lights or anything. It was short and sharp. And one of the comments he made was, I don't know if I'll play the grass. Yeah. And here he is, final at Queen's in the lead-up tournament and lifting his fourth Wimbledon title. Extraordinary, isn't it? I, 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 I mean, that was emotion talking. Let's be honest. I mean, it was it was minutes after he had come off the court. He was just incredibly frustrated. He probably didn't feel ready. Um, I mean, that loss clearly really hurt him. Um, but he did come and play the grass, um, and he got himself ready. Got some matches under his belt. He got better and better through the tournament. Um, I didn't think he would find this level so soon. Uh, I thought he would find it, uh, but I was kind of pitching for US Open. I thought that was looking pretty good for him, maybe, you know, latter stages of the year. I just did not think that he was going to, to take this title of having to get through a very informed Nadal and a Federer, potentially, and Del Potro, and uh, where on earth Chilich went, who knows. But there were so many names that I just thought would beat him. I have to say, I don't normally overtly cheer for someone outside of David Goffin, but when we did our ATP Tennis Radio predictions for the time capsule at the beginning of the year, I put Djokovic Wimbledon and only because 
Initially, I had Andy Murray to win Wimbledon purely because my headline of the year is Andy Murray returns from hip surgery to win a Grand Slam title. Then I suddenly thought, oh, that might be a little bit too soon. So I bumped off Del Potro from the US Open. I shoved Andy Murray in there and I stuck Novak Djokovic in Wimbledon. And I wasn't feeling very confident at the time. But as he got deeper, I was thinking, well, hang on a second. I might get it. Not at least one, because we all had Nadal, I think, barring our producer Russell for the French Open. And at least get two predictions right. Well, it's very impressive. Round of applause, I think, for you. I, I think, yeah, I, I just don't think anybody else... Did, did anybody else... Oh, we won't know, will we, there until few, the I time just, capsule. There were a few Nick Kyrgios's in there. There was an awful lot of Roger Federer's Yeah, that there. was me. Oh, you're a Roger I was a, I was a Roger Federer. Um, Remember, we were picking this at the beginning of the year, and yes. Roger Federer's year has not been what it was last year. He was not coming into this tournament at the level that he was at last year. He was utterly dominant on everything apart from clay last year. I don't think many people, anybody, had Kevin Anderson to win a Grand Slam title. I wonder if anyone would have put him in a Grand Slam final. Yes, he reached the final in America, but I just remember at the time everyone, oh, well, the draw, draw fell apart. Of course he's in the final, the draw fell apart. Here, he earned his way into this Wimbledon final. All right, it's the best tennis I've ever seen Anderson play. I mean, by a, a country mile, he was so solid. Didn't get tight. I mean, when he was playing against Roger Federer, I was saying there is one very tight forehand out on that court and it is not Kevin Anderson's, which was just quite remarkable. He didn't flinch in that fifth set. He didn't flinch um, at any time in the tournament, really, until, well, he didn't flinch. He was just very, very tired <laughs> in the final, a little bit injured with the arm. Um, you know, it wasn't ideal, but unfortunately for the guys that don't win slams routinely, and we saw this with Chilich last year, by the time you get to the final, you are ruined. What you've had to go through to get there, you are exhausted. Um, and, you know, and he came up and, and Djokovic has been through a lot, but he's just so used to it. And he's so used to playing a final when you just have almost nothing left. If you're hearing some noises and bits and pieces, it's because it, it's that day. It's the, the Grand Slam is finished and people want to get out of here as fast as possible. When we say this after every Grand Slam, but they are, aren't they? Pulling out wires, monitors disappear. They, they take the chair. If you stand up for a second, the chair's gone. Well, well this is a club. This is a working club year round. It's closed tomorrow, so I'm informed, but it will be open uh, on oh, Tuesday. Really? So, so they it's, it's closed on, on the first Monday after Wimbledon? Yes, because they're sorting everything out. 2018 Wimbledon for you has been what? It's just, it's been, do you know what? It's been kind of chaotic, I think. Just following the draws, um, you know, and Federer going out, long, long semi-finals as we saw, the two longest semi-finals back to back. It got quite chaotic. Do you know what? The first week was really calm and it, everything was kind of, OK, we lost Chilich. That was a big blow, uh, very unexpected. Um, but everything was kind of rattling on, along nicely. We had some really good tennis, you know, everything was, but it was all fine. And then it just caught fire with Anderson beating Federer and the manner that he did it deep in a fifth set, really up against it, did not flinch. And as I say, Federer looking nervous, looking tight, looking way off his game. Still nearly came through it, though, to be fair to him. And then, of course, you know, the Isner-Anderson match was just epic beyond... Maybe epic should be the word to sum it up. I don't know, because that was just extraordinary. And then to follow that with Nadal and Djokovic, which did not disappoint. For me, that was the match of the tournament. Although now I'm, I'm doing Del Potro out of his match, because I, I was watching Del Potro when he played Nadal, thinking, how can you play this well and not win? How is it? Every time I was, I was watching him play these points, and I was thinking, he's just played an unbelievable point, an unbelievable Del Potro point, four bludgeoning forehands, 
and you've not won the point. It just felt so unfair. And the answer was that he was playing Nadal. And then Nadal against Djokovic was a very similar thing. I was looking at Nadal saying, how are you not winning these points? I don't understand. And the answer was because you were playing Djokovic. So it speaks volumes about those plays. So for me, the second week has been chaotic. It's been epic. It's been unbelievable at times and just incredible tennis the level of tennis that took Isner and Anderson to 26-24 was through the roof considering the length of time considering the games that they bring to the court full baseline rallies so much effort going into it yes it's very different to the Nadal Djokovic match but I just you know look I've just listed so many matches all in a row and they all happen in such a short space of time back to back to back these matches came thick and fast um, and as I say we were kind of just pootling along nicely <laughs> through kind of day six and seven and then bang it just it just took off and became an inc- just such a memorable tournament so confirmation of a few results for you Novak Djokovic who will be world number 10 Kevin Anderson's going to be world number five with new rankings come out. But it's Djokovic who wins his fourth Wimbledon title with a straight sets win over Kevin Anderson. Mike Bryan partnering Jack Sock, our doubles champions. Alexander Peer alongside Nicole Melika. They are the mixed doubles champions. Chun Sing Seng is the boys' champion. Stefan Olsen is the wheelchair singles champion, while Gordon Reed and Alfie Hewitt retain their wheelchair doubles titles. Now, Naomi... A few players now, most players, will take a break before the US hardcourt season. Plans for you to have a little step away from tennis for a few days to recharge the Cavaday batteries? Yes, just a couple of weeks before getting stuck into the US Open series. It's a busy one. Um, again, they cram a lot of matches into those days, so it's uh, you know it is relentless. It is the one word that I use to describe the ATP Tour. It is relentless, week in, week out. Uh, and there are tournaments that kick off. I think they've already started. Um, <laughs> to be honest, for some of the players that lost it early in the tournament, um, particularly some clay court events. Uh, but for me, a couple of weeks before the US Open series start. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. So huge thank you to Naomi Cavaday, who, as you just heard, is heading off just for a couple of days break. But waiting in the wings to look back over the rest of the championships off former player Jill Krabus and one of the leading commentators on the tour, Nick Lester. They are the Golden Nine, a prestigious collection of ATP World Tour Masters 1000 tournaments, hosted in the world's most spectacular venues and cities. Contested by only the world's very best, this is their exclusive playground. Coming at you from Indian Wells. Let's get it started. From Miami to Monte Carlo. Dang. Thank you, Monte Carlo. Get ready, Madrid. Game, set, match, Madrid. New balls, please, for Rome. Grazie, Roma. See you in Canada. On to you, Cincinnati. Hi from Cincinnati. Get ready for Shanghai. From Shanghai to Paris. From Paris to London. Jill and Nick, thank you very much for joining me on this latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. And I have to start with... Jill, how have your Wimbledon championships been? Well, thank you, Gigi, for having us. Um, They've been great. I've actually really enjoyed the tennis. I think it's been um, an unbelievable two weeks. I think um, what's impressed me uh, about the guys is that, like, I feel like it's becoming a little bit more like the women, actually, because we've been talking about for the last few years, four or five years, how open it's been. I feel like if you 
take away, you know, Federer and Nadal, I felt like there's so many options, especially on the grass, like for guys to go deep into the tournament. And it's just been incredible to watch these guys um, really excel and, and bring the best out of their games in, the, in these two weeks. And Nick, how have your two weeks been on the grass? Hot. <laughs> My shorts wardrobe is now extensive. I can tell you because I've had I've had to uh, I've had this every every morning debate about whether I should go trousers or shorts, and it has to be shorts. I'm afraid. It has to be shorts. The smart side of me has been put to one side. Went trousers because we had a cool. Yeah, we day. have had trousers. Yeah, much to my regret, actually, on a couple of one on the crow's nest on court 12, and it's 32 degrees, and I'm uh, trying to get as much water down me as possible. But aside from that, it's been brilliant. Did you get nibbled by a flying ant in your shorts? I, I don't remember that actually. Day. No, I don't remember that, but I might have done. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but apart from the one day of trousers, you missed the flying ants. It's yeah. been a good oh, couple of weeks. Oh, brilliant. Of course it is. Of course it is. You know, this is, this is, it's been fantastic. And the weather does help, doesn't it? It does put people in a better mood. We joke about it, but it does. It's, it's been brilliant. I've loved it. Now, our job, the three of us, is to look at these championships from the semi-final backwards. So where do we start? We have to start with the tie-break discussion because that Jill dominated the semi-finals. 26-24, Kevin Anderson over John Isner, six and a half hours, over five hours, under the roof, split over two days for 10-8, Novak Djokovic against Rafa Nadal and, and really maybe both sides the pros and cons do we need it do we not need it yeah I think it's been a discussion for a while now I mean ever since John here obviously went 70 68 but I think since then it's been a discussion so often I feel like that's we're ta- we've been talking about it f- since that moment and I think um, in my opinion I think there's definitely some drama to playing it out in the fifth set but there's also some drama to the tiebreaker too and I think in my opinion it just for me, I think it's too difficult for the players that are, you know, going on to the next round to be able to have a chance to win their next round if they're going that deep. And you, you, and I just think they should introduce the tiebreaker somehow, maybe at 12-all. I think that's been the rumor that seems like a good number because you've actually played like another set. And then at 12-all, that might be a good time to bring in the tiebreaker. So I think, I think there probably should be, in my opinion. I think that's been kind of the consensus going around recently. Um, so in my opinion, yeah, because those still have the drama of playing a little bit out and then the drama of the tiebreaker. We've all been fortunate, us three, to be in New York. And for my money, there is nothing like a start of a fifth set tiebreak at the US Open. Nothing in the sport. And we've all been covering this a long time. And I think the electricity in New York obviously is magnified because of the city. But I do believe that that is a very special and unique atmosphere. The start of a fifth set breaker, uh, whether it would be the same at Wimbledon, I don't know. Obviously, it's a very different atmosphere. But for me, I think the energy created by a fifth set tiebreak at six all in the US Open certainly for me is the best atmosphere, I think, in the sport. And for me, I see no reason why we can't have it here. It was interesting. I did an interview with Kelsey Anderson for the BBC and I asked her how Kevin was after that mammoth match. We heard John Isner say impressed that bits of him hurt and he had horrible blisters. And she's, and I asked her about a fifth set tiebreak situation here and she said if this is meant to be an endurance sport, so if this is like a marathon or an Ironman, then yeah, we keep going. We keep going until one person survives. She said, but I don't think that is what tennis is about. And she was very good at saying, look, I only came into tennis when I met Kevin. I'm not an aficionado. Maybe I'm not a purist. But she said, what they put their bodies through and putting themselves on the line like that it just it gets to a point and Tim Hemmen who's a member of the committee here at Wimbledon said we thought Isna Mahu was a one-off we thought that wouldn't happen again I guess when it starts to happen deep into tournaments 
that's when the discussion comes back. And I think the big question is you've, you've always got to look at it, yes, from a player's point of view, but you've always got to look at it from a fan point of view because we're trying to sell the sport. Have we seen enough tennis after four, four and a half hours for us to want an outcome then? Because we've had a six and a half hour match and a five hour 30. Now, of course, Nadal and Djokovic was, will be talked about probably for the remainder of the year as will the other semi-final. But the question for me is, as a fan, have we seen enough after four hours to want a conclusion? And I think probably the vast majority of fans will say yes because it's not going to be a damp squib of a conclusion, is it? Because we're going to have a tie break. So therefore, there is going to be a, a fantastic hopefully 10-15 minutes to end the match so again I would certainly lean on the side of having a tiebreaker personally for me again it's the physicality of how, how the players are feeling as an athlete re- what's uh, can you remember your longest match my yeah I didn't have that long of a match well my match my longest match actually was mixed doubles here I went 10-8 in the third in Australia in singles but here it was mixed doubles I think it was 16-14 but I mean mixed doubles was different because the points are so much shorter but how tough is it in a long singles match to recover especially if you've got to recover quite quite quickly yeah it's difficult I mean and that even that's not even close to, to what the guy, these guys are experiencing so um, it's it's really difficult just to you know even come down from that physically but also emotionally too because you put so mental so much mental energy and mental focus into the match I mean and to really recover for that I mean I know we talk about physical but mental too it's it's really difficult another physical and mental couple of matches if we go back around to the quarterfinals Kevin Anderson two sets to love down on Mm. court number one against Roger Federer how on earth was he able to turn that around and come out in five sets I mean I mean he said he just really believed I mean he never stopped believing he thought he he could do it and I think that was obviously one of the biggest challenges for him and I think um, the fact that he just kept playing his game I don't think he ever stopped believing that he could come through with that match I do think Federer backed off a little bit um, not necessarily at the match point but I think once he lost that third set I think he kind of backed off just a little bit but but you still have to go out and win the match I mean even if your opponent you feel like they give you a little bit of an edge you still have to come through with that match so I mean I full credit to to Kevin I think the fact that he was in the final of the U.S. Open last year helped him quite a bit get through that match and I think um, he just has slowly progressed and slowly gained that confidence and it's not something that happens overnight and I think Kevin is a perfect example of that. It's been in kind of an ongoing process. You don't just go out and practice forehands, backhands. You have to practice believing in yourself and you have to practice mentally getting through those matches. I think that's the big thing. It feels that the mental side of things, that he truly, genuinely believes that the words journeyman have been put next to Kevin Anderson for a while. He had a, a shocking 2016 with injuries. He was, what, 80 in the world style of 2017. But he just keeps saying, I believe in myself. I believe the people around me believe. We see the come on, we see the fist pumping, we see the words of encouragement from the box. And it brings us back to the, the mental side of the game and how he does believe. And he has looked up to Rafael Nadal as, as the person who I think he would be openly admit in many ways he's not a sort of uh, hero, that's the wrong word, but he is a guy who, Rafael is someone who Kevin Anderson has looked at and said, OK, that's the way he conducts himself on court. I'm going to just tap into that a little bit. I'm going to you know, get that bod- have the similar sort of body language. And it's, it's been a complete turnaround. But Kevin Anderson is someone who it's all about the process for him. It's a methodical process. It's about what he does off court. It's about the discipline. And you know what? He loves that side of it. And that's a very, as Jill will testify, it's a very boring thing to do, isn't it? To have to do all the rehab and all the work off court, all the, you know, car- all those sort of bits and bobs. Because, you know, he doesn't, he, just, he openly says he doesn't play much tennis. He's 
these days. It's probably two hours a day. He's over 30, so he's not hitting that many balls, but he's keeping his body in incredible shape. And as you so rightly say, the, the run at the US Open last year was enormous for his self-belief, for him having that sense of, I belong on the big stage. So when he steps on court one against Federer, he's not thinking, well, do I belong here? Well, he's made the US Open final. He knows he belongs here. But I think it's also, just going back to the fact, uh, match with Federer, I think it's also how he finished that match because I think like a lot of people thought, okay, I think he was ser he was serving for it at the end and he hit that one forehand that he shanked and you're thinking, okay, he's, he's tight, he's tight. But then the next few points, it was rock solid and it was done in a way that was super confident. I think, I think the fact that he finished it that way is, is massive for him. How much of a blow was it to Roger Federer? Won the title in Stuttgart, lost to Borna Cioric in the final of Halle. We know he didn't play the clay, but that feels like it would have been a, a tough defeat to take. I think so, and I think that one's going to hurt a little bit. I think he even said in the in the interview it, it that one's going to hurt. But I mean, like the champion he is, he's let go a lot of those matches. Actually, I remember thinking, wow, because I remember thinking back to a few matches where he had match points and he didn't convert, and I was like, that would be an interesting stat to find out is how many matches he's played where he had match point and didn't come through. And actually, Robbie came up with a stat; and it was twenty. 20 matches that he's had match point and didn't come through and I think like and I've noticed that he struggles with that sometimes but the but he's also come through billions of times so I mean he's been in that situation before and he's come through very successfully so even though it's going to hurt he'll, he'll be able to come through no no problem I think. Nick where does Rafa Nadal against Juan Martin Del Potro sit in good matches? Well I, th I thought it sat quite high until I just saw <laughs> Novak Djokovic against Rafa Nadal so we're sort of raising the bar here at Wimbledon haven't we it was quite a slow first week in the men's side but we've sort of raised the bar gradually yeah, I mean, both were, the, both were extraordinary matches, weren't they? And uh, I think from Del Potro, I think we expected it from Del Potro, didn't we? I don't think we really expected Nadal to, to, run, to run all over him. So that was obviously a, a high-quality affair, as you so rightly say. I love Del Potro's competitive nature. Uh, I just, you know, having done that match and watched those two go at it, they were both, you know, glad to talk gladiatorial in many ways because Del Potro is tough, as, as tough, if not more of a competitor than Nadal. And that's one thing I think people don't associate with Del Potro. So... That was great. Um, as I said, the men's tournament took a while to get going, really, didn't it? I think certainly for the big guys, but certainly the quarters and the semis were, well, probably for my money, we'll, we'll struggle to beat them, I think, in terms of quality. Did you see the moment when Nadal leapt into that lady's lap? Mm. He, he was chasing down the smash from Del yeah. Potro. He was so focused, as he always is. And and lady, she was probably sort of, I'd say, an elderly lady, mm. I think that's right in saying. And suddenly, she's in his lap. And, yeah. and she did not look phased. No, that's amazing. I think just, just on Nadal, actually, very quickly, I was talking to Wayne Ferreira after about, about his matches, and, and he said to me something interesting. He said that Nadal will be disappointed, but he won't be devastated here because he knows he has played at such a high level and he has given everything. He's played some great grass court tennis, and as much as it'll sting losing, he will certainly not be as disappointed as he might have been otherwise because he's played well. He's played well. He was beaten by a better player on the day. Will he get another chance to win Wimbledon in these conditions where it's as hot as this and the ball's bouncing up? That's questionable, but I think he will can leave here, Nadal, feeling pretty good about his game. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio Podcast with Nick Lester and Jill Cravers. I thought now just to throw some names out, but please feel free to throw some names in. We talked about it being a little bit of a slow burner, if that makes any sense. So let me start things off. 
Sasha Zverev. There just seems to be a lot of talk about it. He made the breakthrough in the French. He made it to that second week of a Grand Slam. We thought, here we go, this is, this is going to happen. Here, the thing for me about his defeat to Ernest Gulbis, who is, is a wily old soul when he needs to be, and been around and came through qualifying, it was that six-love fifth set, which we saw Similar against in Australia. Young Chung in, in, I know. in Australia. What, what happens there? Is that a, is that a mental thing? To, to me, I know because people. I know I was surprised people talk physically about him because I mean I've seen videos of him like doing some workouts and I'm like that's insane. He's so fit. It's ridiculous. Um, and to me, it seems a little bit more mental in my opinion because it's not only the fact that it's six love at Australian six love here. I I think the way his face looks like he looks like there's no emotion. There's no nothing. It's just like he's almost look like he's not there anymore and and it's just a it's a weird sensation I think when I look at him I, and I was there in Australia and I, and I was saw him when he when he lost here as well and it was the same kind of look like he just kind of lost complete focus and almost didn't know where he was so for me that that shows that it was a little bit more of a mental battle in, in my opinion I think there's two things I'll say on Zverev I think one he had a remarkably physical eight to ten weeks before, when you consider from Miami onwards, he almost made the semis and final of every tournament, and he played for his country in between there as well. And I think the second thing I would say about that is, Sasha Zverev is still only 21. So I completely agree on terms of the way he fell away and faded away mentally, but this really is only his second or third full year on tour. If this is still happening in a couple of years' time, then I might be concerned. But I certainly don't disagree with you in the way he faded away. That was disappointing. But he was completely physically shot in the fifth set, I thought, against Gorbis personally. And I think a lot of that has to do with what's happened before that because the clay court season was so arduous. The French Open, he had three five setters in a row. That was prior to Madrid, Monte Carlo, everything else that he had before that. So I do think there's probably an excuse or two that can be given to Zverev. I sometimes forget he's so young. I mean, he's in contention for next gen again. Mm. It, he, he's very young, but because I think he's achieved so much and he seems to have cracked that three-set format and he's got mm. multiple Masters titles and he made the breakthrough at the French. It's always like, well, he's here and he's arrived. And I mean, I don't know, Jill, as a player, how much you feel that pressure or you can block it out because he's he's got a big team around him he seems to have a good team around him but there's and he's what top three in the world yeah I mean he can definitely handle the pressure I think that that needs to be clear um and I think I think there's no doubt in anyone's mind that he's probably probably going to go on to win a grand slam and yes he, he's really young and I think you know you start to learn also when you're that young like how many tournaments you should be playing in a year I mean sometimes when you're that young and you have so much um, you have so much determination that you just want to keep going and going and going and play as much as you can so it's going to be a learning experience not only for him but I think his support team around him because they want him to play a ton too you know because they're they're excited about his as a potential Grand Slam champion as well. So I think that's finding that balance of how much he can play and how much maybe he could take a break. And it's probably still, it's relatively soon, I think, to figure that out right now because of how young he is and because he's so determined. Who would like to tell me about Mackenzie McDonald? Because he seems to be popping up at Grand Slams at the moment. Again, I can only tell what Wayne Ferreira tells me because Wayne's known him since he was about no, 10. The perfect person so, to tell um, me Yeah, very good kid um, from what I'm told phenomenal work rate obviously played a bit of college tennis um, interesting as well if you look at Mackenzie McDonald's schedule this year because 
having just Jill just mentioned that he went to Asia for four weeks in May completely skipped the clay court season to play challenges so rather than being 110 in the world playing qualities of the clay court events he was actually very sensible it always looks sensible when you win but he did very well in Asia on quick courts on hard courts so I had some success there built on that um, and obviously been able to you know I think the one thing I will also say about the majors is the first couple of rounds if you can get the draw open there are opportunities it's not like a Masters 1000 where you're playing a top 10 top 15 guy in the first second round the majors first first couple of rounds sometimes I'm not saying they're simpler because they're far from simple but there are certainly opportunities I think at the majors in the first couple of rounds if you can get in there and of course Mackenzie McDonald's done that and now he's going to be 60 in the world so again talking to Wayne who knows him well he says he's a great kid phenomenal work ethic it's a very flat ball conditions are good on a hard court or a grass court for him so he made the most of his opportunity we had a first round blockbuster billed as a blockbuster Gregor Dimitrov against Stan Vavrinka and I feel every podcast I do for ATP Tennis Radio I'm scratching my head against Dimitrov because I can't quite figure out what's going wrong there with him because he's got everything to be right up there and he had that astonishing end to last year winning the biggest title in his career at the Tour Finals but it's just it's not clicking for him at the moment Jill well, I think we can't figure it out because he said he can't figure it out. <laughs> I think that was part of it. And um, I saw his press conference afterward and he said he wasn't sure what was going on, but um, which just shows that he admitted that something's not quite right. Like he can't quite get everything connected in the right way because I'm, he's an unbelievable player and he can handle the pressures mentally very well. We saw it last year. So it's it's only a matter of time where he's going to feel comfortable again, I think. And, and it's tough because once you start losing a few of those matches, it's like it's it's tough to gain that confidence back because you start feeling uncomfortable and you almost need just one little breakthrough again to, to start gaining that confidence back. And um, th- I mean, this is completely kind of off the, su- off the subject because I'm going to doubles now, but that's what impressed me about the Bryan brothers so much is they can, I mean, I've seen them play match- matches where they can be really, really struggling, but they hit one ball that's absolutely incredible and it's like boom they're there and they're able to turn the match around and it just takes that one moment sometimes and I think Dimitrov's going to get there but it's going to take maybe one match where he actually maybe feels one stroke perfectly and then he's like that's it and then he's back but I have no doubt he's, he's going to get it all together. Stan Wawrinka what's the thinking of, of Stan Wawrinka when you watch him and you speak to people in terms of coming back from this knee injury and maybe can he get back to the Stan Wawrinka world which was a, a grand slam winning Stan Wawrinka? Yeah, I, honestly, it's a tough question. I, I don't know. Um, just one very quick thing on Dimitrov. I don't know if you saw, but he was actually training with Andre Agassi this week, which is interesting. At Georgia Tech University in Atlanta, he was training with Agassi. I don't, again, you can read what you want into it, but he spent some time with Andre, so maybe they're just looking for a bit of inspiration there. Going back to Vavrinka, um, yeah, honestly, it's a tough one to say. I don't know. Um, age is obviously catching up with him a little bit now. Double knee surgery is not an easy thing to recover from. He's quite a physical player, Stan, isn't he, as well? And the way he moves is pretty heavy. I mean, he's obviously a great athlete. But, uh, yeah, honestly, it's a tough one. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back at the top of the game. But also, at the same time, I wouldn't be massively surprised if he wasn't either. So I've very much sat on the fence yeah, there, Gigi, haven't I? <laughs> yes, yeah, I have. With your shorts on the fence. Exactly. Is there anyone, either of you, that's surprised you'd like to give an honourable mention to over the last couple of weeks or maybe has disappointed you a little bit sometimes there are the stories of those that come through we talked on Mackenzie McDonald he was a fantastic story of someone who came through but someone that we know Dominic team frustrating for him because he had the injury Mm -hmm. he put everything gave everything into the clay court season but but sadly injury struck him Ernest Gulbis I don't know, for some reason, always makes me smile. Um, he's decided that he's now got a few years left. He's got to focus. He's married. He's become a father. And, and I enjoy watching him. Nick Kyrgios, where, where are we with Nick Kyrgios? Where are we ever with Nick Kyrgios, Jill? 
Well, I mean, Nick, I mean, I think he's obviously probably one of the most talented players out there. And I think, um, I think, I think if he can just string the couple weeks together, it's going to be so important for him. I know we, we say that over and over again, he, but he can both physically. And I do. Mentally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's definitely one that can, that can win a grand slam and, and be number one. But that that's why it's not just based on talent alone. It's a whole package. You need the talent, you need the work ethic, you need the mental focus, you need everything together. And I, I think he can do it for sure. And that and that applies to everyone. I mean, everyone needs, we were just talking about Dimitrov, you know, he's lost a little bit of that mental um, confidence. And so just to get that back, that's why it's a full package. It's, it, that's what's incredible about these players that can have this success over and over and over again, because it takes such high intensity. Um, but going back to your question, it's a, I, I think it's nice to see um, some of my favorites are Stefano Sissipas. I mean, I just think he is just so awesome. I mean, he's so much fun to watch. I think for such a young guy, I think he's only 19 years old, the way he carries himself on the court and the way and how, like he belongs. and how professional he is, it's just it's incredible to me. Um, and Shapovalov is another one, one of my favorites. So those two, I think. And you mentioned two of the next, next, next geners yeah. in there. This and Roland Garros, they haven't been two great Grand Slams for the mm -hmm. next-gen. Is it once again, now we have this next-gen tournament and we're focusing on them a bit more, are we putting too much pressure on them to come through too soon? I mean, we touched on this with Sasha's Red because right. we now really know who they are. Well, I don't think we are. <laughs> but I think that's part of it. That, that's just part of the tour. I mean, you have to expect that that's going to be there's going to be attention on you, and I think you just have to get used to it. I think some people deal with it better than others, but I think you have to learn to deal with that because if you want to be the best that that comes with the territory for sure so I don't think I don't think it's us putting pressure on them I think they have to do maybe pay attention a little bit more to not so much what's going on outside the court but I mean it's easier said than done because it's going to be there you want to promote yourself you want to do the right thing for the media you want to do the right thing to to do to 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 the sponsors and stuff like that. So you need to do that off the court, but it's how you're able to manage it is is one of the biggest keys. And you were nodding along there to Nick Kyrgios when Jill was saying, mm. of course this guy could be number one, he could win Grand Slams. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to an interview from the queue the other day and a chap was in the queue and he said, was asked a question who you did see and he said Nick Kyrgios he said I don't like tennis he says I don't really like tennis but I love Nick Kyrgios <laughs> and it sort of made me think a little bit you know we obviously again see this sport pretty much week in week out and we look at Nick purely from the frustrations we feel for him but it really was again opened my eyes to actually the draw he is he the draw he is away from tennis fans and that is something we cannot deny and and that you know that is good for the game I, I'm with Jill I really think he will get it my biggest concern with Nick is that he talks about not loving the game, and if that is the case, it's tough. You know, you look at Murray, Djokovic, Nadal, these guys live for the sport. When they're at 3 all. I've said this before, when they're in the fifth set at 3 all, they love it. They're living for the battle because they love the game. If Nick's, at, if Nick's down on a set and a break, does he love it enough to want to find a way back in? You know, do you need to love it enough? Because... These top four guys have for the last decade. They've loved the battle because they've ultimately been in love with the sport. I appreciate winning titles is obviously what they're playing for, but that is my biggest concern with Nick. Can he find enough of himself to love the game? And is that key, do you think? Well, I definitely think it's one of the biggest keys. I think 
I mean, for me, I absolutely love being out there. So it just motivated me to train more and to want to be better. But I think if you want to continue to play and you don't love it, then you have to find a different kind of motivation. I mean, if you're going to force yourself to stay out there, then you have to find something that is going to motivate you to want to succeed. And so if he's saying that, that he doesn't love it, then he's got to find a different outlet, I think. Now, Nick, I'm... I'm wondering are you worried that you might have a rival for your your commentator's microphone with Andy Murray coming to Wimbledon Mm. not as a player he withdrew on the eve said not quite ready he was a guest for BBC in the studio one day and then he found himself in a rather entertaining Nadal Del Potro match in the commentary box with Tim Henman well first of all I'm no rival for Andy Murray because he can certainly trump my job any day of the week but um yeah but that's a great example isn't it what we just talked about why is he here because he loves the game he loves talking about the game he's rolling out all sorts of stats that others perhaps haven't heard of because he, he lives for it. He engrosses himself in the sport, probably from Andy's perspective, more than more than any other. But uh, that's a good example of what we were talking about. He wants to be here because he loves the game. Is it important now? There's, there's a little window now, isn't there, Jill, that some of the players, and you've seen some who've lost early on Instagram, they're on beaches, they're sailing around. Is it important now, and it's sort of a tiny window for some of the, the top guys to have a little bit of a break? Yeah, definitely. I think this, this was normally around the time that most of the players take a little bit of a break after Wimbledon because it's there's not much time in between the French and Wimbledon so it's pretty much a grind because you don't want a lot of players don't want to take too much a great uh, break after the French because they want to get on the grass right away to get that to get some matches to get some practice so now is usually a time where they do take a break and it's it's so well needed I mean just to have that you know physical time off and the mental time away and just not think about tennis for a little bit it, it just comes back you can just come back so refreshed because the U.S. hardcourt season is going to be on very quickly right. what are you looking forward to in there is there someone you're specifically looking to see or someone you want to kind of step up a little bit the next few months um I think the ones I mentioned probably um that those next gen players I think are going to be really fun to watch because I think there's been a lot of talk recently about who's going to be the next ones obviously that come up and I think you know to to step up on the hard courts and see them kind of get excited and thrive before the U.S. Open I think that's going to be really exciting to see because some of them like Sitsipas had success here um, I think it's also great to see Nishikori back healthy. I think he's one that, you know, and he had a, gr- a great tournament. But um, so it's good to see him back. And I think just as long as these players can stay healthy, I think we're seeing a lot more names like that are going to become household names rather than just the top, the big four that we've been talking about for so long. So I think it's, I think it's a really exciting time for the men's tennis. What are you looking forward to in U.S. hardcourt season? I wouldn't be surprised if someone like a Jack Stock started to play well because doubles final. Played well. Wimbledon, that's often, that's often a catalyst when a guy's had a horrible single year. I mean, Jack's single year has been horrific, really, by his standards. So, wouldn't be surprised having made doubles final here, playing well. Doubles suddenly gets a bit of confidence in himself. He needs to because he's got a lot of points to defend into the, the year. David Goffin's been a bit shy this year, hasn't he, as well? He's had problems. I know you're, that's breaking your heart, Shish, I know. Um, but uh, he's been a bit shy. No reason why he can't play well on a hard court. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great time of year. I love this. I love those North American events. They're, the atmosphere is brilliant. They're all fantastic events, and the U.S. Open obviously culminates. And in terms of where you guys are going to be over the next couple of tournaments, mm. get a little bit lost with everyone. What's what's your what's your time? I schedule? am Hamburging, which has got Dominic Team. Lovely. Is their main marquee player, and then I'm going to go to Cincinnati. Hamburging is that a thing? Ham- Hamburging, I like Hamburging. that. I am going to Toronto. And then you to the are U.S. The Open. ATP Tennis Radio I am so excited. On site. I know. I love it. I'm so in excited. Did you, I, I absolutely love it. Did you enjoy it. It in I loved it so much. I was I was a little bit nervous bef- beforehand, but everyone kept telling me, "Oh, you'll do good. You'll do good." But I th- I 
I thought they were maybe just being nice. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I really, I, and I was nervous a couple of days, but I think my first couple of interviews were, were, you know, I did, I did with people I knew and players I knew. So they, they made me feel comfortable. Did you interview Nick out It was so exciting. Well, he did the morning oh, show with me a couple did. of times. <laughs> and we got to play tennis, Nick and I. Did. Oh, did you? Yes, How we hit together. Go? It was the awesome. US Open and Jill, you can, you can suffer my tennis at the US Open if you suffer. Oh, it was not a suffer at all. Nick's great. <laughs> Fine. Okay, marvellous. Well, I look forward to either hearing from you on ATP Tennis Radio or during the breakfast chats and all your, we kind of labelled them fireside interviews. You, really? Yeah, I didn't know you, that. It was just lovely. You just did nice in-depth sort of oh, thanks, Gigi. chats and you'd sit down and really, so Jared Donaldson, you and Jared Donaldson, I mean that. Well, that we're the only a, two that, people from Rhode be, Island, I think. That could be a whole <laughs> From the whole state. <laughs> I mean, we look forward to just like parts one to 20 of you and Jared. That well, was, I hope he's playing Toronto. That was a lovely moment. If he's not, we're going to get him there. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> to be my sidekick. Fireside <laughs> chats. Jill Cravers, Nick Lester, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Gigi. It's been Gigi. a busy few weeks for everyone. Cheers, Everyone's going to take a little bit of time off. Nick mentioned Hamburg. You can listen to the final of Hamburg on ATP Tennis Radio together with Washington. Then, of course, every day of Toronto and Cincinnati, both those Masters events live on ATP Tennis Radio. For all the results and everything that's going on, go to atpworldtour.com. Also, on at ATP Tennis Radio on Twitter, you can see a lot of the interviews that we've been doing, including people like Jill with all the coaches and the players throughout the tournament. It's been a pleasure to have your company. If you have enjoyed listening, like to leave us a review, then do so for your podcast provider this has been the atp tennis radio podcast my name is Gigi salmon and we look forward to your company again soon